Alhamdulillah, thank you Sheikh uh, Hussein Meki for accepting our invitation on being on this podcast. Wa alaikum salam, alhamdulillah, thank you for having me. Alhamdulillah. Sorry, it's uh, it's dark on my end, it's 3 a.m., I had to leave the house because I was going to wake everyone up if I was talking there, so I came out <laughs> here in the car, <laughs> on the road, yeah. That next next time we'll do a different time. <laughs> no, no. Actually, I wake up at three. Normally, I wake up at three, and mm. so it, it's it's the time for me to wake up now. But uh, yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, so, How you been? Yeah, it's good. It's good to see you. I haven't talked to you in so long. Yeah, alhamdulillah. You said you your accent is kind of Australian now. <laughs> That's what everyone's saying. What am I gonna do? <laughs> I, I don't think I have, I don't know what's going on. Everyone in America says that I have like an Australian accent now. But everyone in Australia, once I talk to them, are you from America? Yeah, I'm from America. <laughs> so I have no accent. Like my accent's unique to me only. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, so how's everything going out there? It's, I, what's, called, what's going on with the protests? I heard Seattle's going crazy and they took over a... a Six yeah, I mean, uh, it's people. I guess it's just you know you you shake up that soda can so much, eventually that thing is gonna probably explode and you know go everywhere. And so that's kind of I think what it's been like. Where um, everywhere you know what we're hearing on the ground is that you know people are just um, they're out, they're protesting, they're speaking out, they're they're just really frustrated with you know. America right now. They're frustrated with the system. They're frustrated with law enforcement. They're frustrated with, you know, uh, people getting murdered and things like that. I was, I was just telling my, uh, uh, someone I was talking to that if, you know, some of the images that, that are being shown of people protesting and police shooting them with, with rubber bullets and, and, and like beating up protesters and, you know, old protesters smashing them in the face, kicking women in the face. Like if this was any other country where you saw just that it went on the news here, oh, that would be uh, terrorist or you know, uh, government dictatorship. That's that. W- those would be what the headlines are. Yeah. You know, but um, because it's here, it's it doesn't get portrayed even that way. Still, as bad as it is. Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. I was I was actually thinking the same thing from a long time ago. That yeah. Could, I think I think the news here made that reference. Mm, like I think I remember watching the news here showing protests and then showing protests in another country that America was, you know, saying that this country is yeah. not observing human rights or they're a dictatorship <laughs> exactly. or whatever it is. And then exactly. yeah, and then showing the similarities. It's pretty crazy, like I don't know. Like, I'm I'm not in it. You know what I mean? I'm way over here. So here, they had a protest here. Um, yeah, I saw that even over there they were having something. Yeah, which which act, which actually the the indigenous people here, so the aboriginals here in Australia, they're, they have a similar movement and they have similar issues. So obviously the numbers are much less, but there are a few people who were killed in custody here. Um, and, you know, the the institutionalized racism statistics here are pretty, you know, bad. Um, I think they're even worse percentage-wise 
than when you compare them to the African-American situation in the States with regards to, like, um, incarceration rates and things like that. So they have, they definitely have something that they need to say as well. And they're using the Black Lives Matter movement in America to kind of shed light to the issues that they're facing here um, under the same name. And the prime minister here is like, nope, anyone that protests from now on will be arrested. I don't know if they're actually going to do that, but they're they're trying to um, stop the protests under the under the reasoning of spreading COVID. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, we don't care. He's like, we don't have a problem with the message. What you're saying is fine. You have the right to, to say these things. You know, we have freedom of speech and all of that and the right to protest. Beautiful. But in the present climate, because of COVID, we can't do it. Interesting. Interesting. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's um it's definitely making some difference though, you know. Um people ultimately at the end of the day they want their voices to be heard and um they feel to some degree that their voices are being heard. Um at the same time, I think it would be really naive to think that uh, a system that existed for so long in such a way that all of the sudden, you know, because of your protest that now, oh, we understand the light came on. Ding. Let's change everything. You know, I I think it would be naive to have that kind of expectation. Yeah. And I, I would expect some, you know, um, reforms to in some degree, maybe mostly legal things. But does that change the mentality of people and what exists? Not necessarily, you know, those people who are, you know, able to do these kind of things, does it change them? Not necessarily, you know. So, I mean, right now it's it's just interesting conversation, you know, with it trending, you know, because when something gets trending, like there is, you know, I'm watching the, uh, um, you know, Colin Kaepernick gets, you know, in the NFL gets this really, um, gets this mistreatment, blackballed, you know, he's he's a he's a t- super talent. Definitely not uh, the kind of people that are getting signed when he's sitting, you know, without a contract. It was just unbelievable. Anyway, the you know the NFL did all of that when he was saying like you know I'm taking a knee and trying to bring light to these issues. You know, police brutality, what's happening in the black community, and so now you know here comes the NFL commissioner. You know. We were wrong. We were wrong about this. We were wrong. We were wrong. And yeah, it's, is it lip service though? It's very easy to say these things because it's trending and it's, it's really cool to say that right now. <laughs> like yeah. this is a trendy hashtag and you know, this is what people want to hear and this will make you, it's good PR, but does that mean that they're going to, you know, make sure that, you know, injustices and oppressions don't happen again within their own confines? Well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's unlikely that major change will happen. Because mm-hmm. right? major change has to be a change of culture and perception, and yeah. that never happens immediately. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I do see I do see improvements. For instance, the just the word Black Lives Matter, I know before, like when you look at it from, from like a non-black perspective, 
a lot of mm-hmm. I I remember seeing a lot of people say, "No, all lives matter. Why is only Black lives matter?" Right. And now I think people got get it. You know, I think at least a segment of the some people, yeah, you know, more people get it now than got it before. Right. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. you know, there's definitely some improvements, but you're right. Yeah. Like to what extent is it gonna you know? I, I was right, listening to a comedian. He was doing a, a a bit on that yesterday. It was pretty funny. He said he was saying, "Yeah, uh, Black Lives Matter. You know, they matter. All, all we we're starting with, we just matter. Like, what's less than that? You know, it's just we matter. <laughs> That's it. And then they're like, he's like, if if we go less, you know, exist." Black lives exist? Is that, you know, is that, where are we going to go from there? And then he was like, but then they don't say, they don't respond by saying, no, black lives don't matter, right? They're smart, right? They, they bring out, no, all lives matter. Not just black lives, all lives. And he's like, think about this. If your wife tells you, do you love me? And your answer is, you know what? Of I course everybody. I love I love everybody. You're part of everybody. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. Exactly. But it's, exactly. It's, you know, it's good. Like, I think it's good that people are recognizing that. And, you know, police brutality has existed for 400 years, if if not more. Right. Like, it's nothing exactly. new. But, exactly. and, and the black community has been, has been aware of that, you know, forever. But exactly. now other communities are, you know, if they weren't aware, because they're probably aware of it, but now it's it's really coming to the forefront. They're really yeah. acknowledging yeah. the problem. And I don't know, maybe there'll be some kind of police reform or I don't know. I don't know how much, not like, not police reform in the sense that it will be, they'll be act, they'll act perfectly. But right. maybe if they do act excessively, they'll get, punished easier or something i don't know what what the change will be but uh i'm hoping yeah. that that small changes will happen yeah you know? hopefully those small changes do lead to some bigger changes i would you know I try to be optimistic but you know i was just having this kind of the same conversation about the all lives matter and because one of the things that i noticed like um in the muslim community or you know there's a growing awareness where, you know, in, in the Western world, a lot of Muslims are immigrants. And a lot of times they're happy with the system that exists. You know, they're benefiting from it. They came there, they're living there. Maybe they're going to school. Maybe they went to became, you know, got a good job, a good degree or something like that. So sometimes being ha- being forced to see the system, which maybe was kind of the hand that fed you or uh, you feel that you benefited from as being oppressive it's hard, and we and we've seen in the past where people are like I I I always tell the story where people are asked like you know what's wrong with black people why are the like you know like what was wrong with George Floyd why did he do that why mm. like seeing the like the uh, not being able to see like the system could be bad mm. the system could have problems and flaws and things like that and so uh, what 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 I was seeing is sometimes people responding with you know trying to. I mean, create like a kind of a, a, a like, so, you know, somebody's hashtagging George Floyd and Black Lives Matter or or Eric Garner before him or all the other people that had, you know, these terrible situations of police brutality. 
things like that or people who died and no and and police were acquitted and things like that and they're saying no well what about you know lives matter afghan lives matter palestinian lives matter and things like this mm. and really kind of missing the whole point right like kind of like what that comedian said i mean i think about it like this like you go to a funeral it would be the uttermost disrespectful thing to show up and look at the family and say uh, lots of people died, you know, yeah. people like re just have some respect for what is, you know, and what Islam has, at least in theory, is that the multicultural um, bond, the bond, the spiritual bond that exists, that would mean that if someone was killed or if someone was oppressed, then every single Muslim will come together and be like, I'm, a, I'm I oppose this wrong that happened. And it wouldn't matter, but what we have, some for some reason, we're stuck in this box that I, I really believe that, you know, these, the, the Western society really just uh, approves of it and uh, how, encourages it, where people get so isolated. And so, you know, the person's Kashmiri, you know, they're, they're, they feel like they're the only ones who should care about What's happening in Kashmir? The person in Afghanistan feels like their their people should only worry about it, whereas they're forgetting about their Islamic identity and they're just focused on their cultural identity. Hmm. Black Muslims, white Muslims, Muslims everywhere should care about what's happening in Kashmir. Every single type of Muslim should care about it because your Muslim identity should be your most important identity. And if if we learn that alone, if that one thing comes out of all of this for Muslims, I think man, I would be more than Aesthetic, I would be over the moon, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you mentioned theoretically Islam is against racism, which obviously, right. obviously, is the case, right? There's, you know, verses of Quran that say it doesn't matter about you know the the race you are. All that matters is God consciousness or taqwa piety. You have uh, prophetic traditions which state that there's no superiority over the Arab and non-Arab and so on and so forth. Like there's so much that we have in our in our sources and examples as well, right? So like the prophet right, right. respecting um, Bilal, you have m many of the imams marrying African women. You have like there's just so much that we have scripturally and through our role models that denying, you know, the fact that Islam is anti-racism or engaging in racist activity would be ridiculous but we see as you as you mentioned in our communities it's it's mm -hmm. pretty common right like i mean first i've i've i know you've lived in iran for a while i went i lived in lebanon and iran and i know you've been involved in multiple communities of different races throughout the states and so have i in in other countries as well and you see every race has their own racist uh tendencies right like i know when i was in lebanon you know forget it like if the way that they treated palestinians for instance was right. racist the way that they treated africans in Baalbek was racist in iran the way they treated afghans was racist right and right. everywhere you look like you see it i don't know like it i don't know wh why people miss this part of the religion like I don't, the reasoning I don't I'm, I'm not going to speculate but it is pretty prevalent remember that time that um 
Hashim came to Iran with, uh, I think Sheikh Jafar Muhibbala was with him and a, a bunch of people from uh, from Northern California. We played basketball mm-hmm. with them. I remember you were with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Do you remember? Mm-hmm. In the uh, <laughs> I forgot where it was. We went. We we visited some city, and we went to the basketball court in that in that city. I don't remember what city it was, but we walked through this park, and I remember, like. I, you know, many of the many of the people were were African American in this group, and I was walking behind you guys, and I was yeah. just watching everyone in the park stare like they've never seen a black person. <laughs> it was the funniest thing to me, but I mean, obviously, it's not funny, but it was just it was crazy the way that you know heads would turn and just everyone was like, "What are these? What are these?" Things that are walking past us, I've never seen anything like this, and it's just crazy. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely some. Uh, I mean, I would say that uh, Iran's definitely come a long way from when we first went to uh, when we first went there. It's definitely come a long way and and becoming more cosmopolitan, if you will. <laughs> um, where there's so much diversity that it's people have gotten used to it. Um, and also, the, you know, a city like, you know, Qom or Tehran, just having so much connection to people from all over the world. Uh, I think that that definitely has helped people to open their eyes. I, I remember that, you know, coming to Iran, and I mean, this is also part of like the power of Western propaganda, right? They, you know, some layman people, not, not necessarily the most educated and people, they probably know more, but some layman people would say things like, you know, uh, where are you from? So if I say America... And it's like, no way. You can't be from America. There's no black people in America. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was just, it was always interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. And like this this perception of whatever, you know, Omrika was, is just was this thing that was made up in someone's mind. It's like mythical creature kind of, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was really hard to accept, you know, certain things. And, um, I, uh, but I mean, I've, I definitely have seen where that's improved a lot along the way, but I will say that Muslims still have a long way to go, you know, to really, I mean, I, I really feel like what Malcolm X said really set the, really sets the tone for us to understand. Racism is a malignant cancer. I think that statement is so still relevant. And also that Islam is the cure, mm. you know, that's so relevant. And but we as Muslims, we can't, you know, really uh, be effective in um, utilizing this cure when we're distanced ourselves from, you know, where what we are as Muslim is not synonymous with Islam. And yeah, you know, it's going to be, we're not going to be able to give that solution to society when truly only Islam can do that. Yeah, 100%. How, how do you think we could do that? Like, practically speaking, as people who... That's know, a great have question. a connection to the community and are seen, you know, as scholars and people who we we speak on the member, we have, you know, small levels of influence and we're not the dominant race, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I know myself in uh, in Australia, in the UK, in America, wherever I've been in the West, right? Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, people respect me. People acknowledge the fact that I've been to Qom and I've studied. Right. And they ask me religious questions. And, you know, there are people who 
who I am able to influence, inshallah, in a positive way. And but if I want to have like to be put in an influent influential role, like be the you know, I don't I don't feel I would get that position as as you know, a non Arab non Lebanese, like I wouldn't become the the Sheikh of the Lebanese Center or I wouldn't become the Sheikh of the Pakistani Center, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not of that race, right? And I feel that, that that being an outsider, right, has its advantages and disadvantages, right? Mm-hmm. The advantages mm-hmm. is that, you know, I could connect to the youth easier because, right. you know, right. I identify, we identify with the same culture. Um, right. You, the youth tend to be less... Uh, racist as well the ones who at least have been born here and raised in this country um so you could you have that influence there and i don't know how to change the mindset of the community at large it's it's seems very difficult like i know in the past i would give lectures and in the lectures one of the lectures i'd give is a lecture on racism and i'd I'd give the verses of Quran and a hadith and, and talk about some statistics of, look, you know, institutionalized racism exists here in this country against, if I'm in Australia, against Aboriginals, if I'm in America, against, you know, the um, minority races in America. And look how how bad that is. And then let's look in, in ourselves. And I'd give some examples, practical examples of how I've seen racism in our communities. And... Mm-hmm. Tell people that look, you know, it it exists. We need to wake up to it. We can't sweep it under the rug. We need to have these conversations and and think about it. Well, I don't know if that's making any difference. Like, I wouldn't say that now after that speech, there's no more racism in this community. No, obviously that, that didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. You know like, I don't know what steps we could actually take. I, I I really what you said about you know the youth really resonates with me. I mean, I definitely obviously have had similar experiences. Um, so there is definitely a generational you know kind of disconnect um, that's there. Um, I I really have been thinking about how like if I if this if something were to come to change in this regard, how that really would take so much so much time, mm-hmm. you know. And so with keeping in mind that that may be a process and that some people will not be able to really embrace it or be on board, um, however long that takes, you know, if we are effective with the young people of today's generation, the young generation of Muslims right now, then inshallah, by the time they're a little bit older, they're teaching their children, you know, better practices, more pure version of Islam is being practiced. People are not, you know, I mean, I'm sure you run into this. People are not like, you know, uh, disregarding marriage proposals because of somebody's race, you know, just kind of like just dumb stuff, you know, like it's just really unfortunate. I mean, I can't believe I mean, I had someone uh, more than many a time, you know, Sheikh, you know, I'm really looking for someone. I said, OK, alhamdulillah. I mean, I'm 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 I'm, I'm uh, at your service, you know, whatever I can do. You know, okay, yeah. What are things you do for someone that's da ba boom 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 boom? Okay, alhamdulillah, good Muslim. 
Oh, you know what? I got just the person for you. Ooh, they're a little too dark, actually, Shay. Mm. <laughs> you know? Then they see the real colors come out. Oh, no, actually, uh, yeah, it'd be really nice if they were... Uh, can you find someone who's white? You know what I mean? Like, literally, like, these are the kind of things that you would say. It says, like, wow, like, you're this... You're the foundation of your life and where you're trying to go, your family... That the atqalkum and those most God conscious is not a really important part. So this means that we're not Islam is not really ingrained in you know for us. We're 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 have different priorities. So when these kind of things start to you know get uh, 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 you know start to move away, start to become less and are reduced in our communities, I think that's when we start to move into that transition. But I think it's going to be the younger generation, but not just younger generation of immigrant Muslims. It has to be people who are very much well connected and open to being interconnected. Because a lot of what learning has to do is just like, you know, just having relationships with people, just knowing people, you know? I mean, I, I think about how like in America, for example, there's a lot of times it's easy to make a narrative about what Muslims are like, in, uh, in white communities that you can't make that same narrative in a black community. And the reason is usually just because a lot of black people know someone who's Muslim. They live around the corner from someone who's Muslim. One of their family members is Muslim. They know somebody who went to jail and became Muslim or whatever. There's so much different relationships that when they hear this kind of narrative, it's like, mm, I don't know if that's true. Whereas if I live in suburbia, way away from, you know, uh, any kind of interaction with Muslim. I never interacted with a Muslim. If Fox News tells me there's a big bad Muslim coming to get me, <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I'm so scared, you know, then it's easy to be to fall into that. So, I mean, I think that those connections are going to, inshallah, I think we're intentional having with, you know, this young generation, with people who are converts. I think those interconnections are important. And finally, if... It will take some time, but it, we have to be persistent and patient. I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, if this dies down, you know, like it, it's a moment, you know, it's a heightened emotion. You know, it's, it's, it's that point on the roller coaster. People are screaming. OK, but then when you get off the roller coaster and everything's all done, how do you feel now? You know, are you still passionate about social justice or did all that go out the window, you know, and you're, it's, is it going to be forgotten? Yeah, I think definitely there'll be a. I hope it won't be completely forgotten, but it's definitely not going to last the way it is. Um, mm. no. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. But those are two good points that you mentioned. One with marriage. I agree with that 100%. And I actually try to encourage any type of interracial marriages that, that people ask me about. Because I get asked all the time, you know, I want to marry this person, but my family is not going to accept it. What should I do? And I tell them, look... You know, obviously, I'm, I'm, I don't want them to be, you know, at odds with their family and fighting with their family for the rest of their life. But right. from my experience, what happens is the family will be upset for a, a period of time and then they get over it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then everything's fine. You know, what I mean, it, it takes it takes time, but eventually they'll get over it. And especially when they have grandkids things will change you know what i mean and your relationships will will go through a rocky period and then they'll improve um but like i feel if we look in the history of islam 
interracial marriages is something that really brought communities together, right? Absolutely. So this was Absolutely. this was a tactic that the prophet used to bring tribes mm-hmm. together and to bring different people together, right? So this is definitely something that can be done, and and I encourage it, but it's very hard. Like it's there's Ooh. there's certain. I remember when I was in the UK, there was a sister came to me, and. It, I was involved in a community there that not only did they have to marry their own race because they're Sayyids, they had to marry a Sayyid from their own race. And not only that, from their own village. Oh, man. Slim pickings. Slim pickings. (laughs) So this one sister comes to me and her family converted from Sunni Islam to Shia Islam. They're Sayyids, but they were Sunnis, and then they converted to Shia Islam. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Now, time for the sister to get married. Has to get married from a Sayyid from her village. The Sayyids from her village are Sunni. She mm. wants to marry Shia. The parents don't let her. They force her to marry some, like, borderline wow. Wahhabi Sunni Muslim because wow. he was... Because he was saved from their village. And it ended up being a divorce. Like he he pro- prohibited her from going to the center for Muharram programs. And was like just destroying her life. And thankfully he didn't get a visa to go to the UK. So <laughs> she was able to, uh, to, to separate from him. But the family like really ostracized her for doing that even. I was like come on man. Like. That's just ridiculous. Like that was that's one of the worst that I that I was involved with, and it's like man, like you're you're prepared to marry some to marry your daughter to a Wahhabi instead of someone from a different village. Wow! Like find a moatman, a believer, who's still Pakistani and still say it from a different village, and they won't go for it. You know what I mean? Let alone someone from a different country. Like that would be like. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be that'd be the end of the world for him, I think. Like I don't I get it. Like it is, it's just crazy. And so, yeah, so have, marriage is is an issue for sure. Yeah, I I have one idea that I've been kind of uh, that's been marinated in my mind for a while. I mean, the first time that I went to speak anywhere was 2007, and it was in London at um, uh, the Islamic Islamic Center of England. Mm. And um, what I saw there was, the, you know, they had four big halls and four different programs, English, Arabic, Urdu, Farsi. And um, I saw this actually, you know, throughout the years, I would see this at different places. They model this kind of thing. And initially I was not sure if this is good or bad. And then I started to lean on the side of it. This is not very good. Just simply because of the Muslim community, like it seemed like it was so fragmented in it and it would remain that way. So, like, you know, people will go to their respective languages, uh, the programs in their respective languages that they wanted to hear. And for years, they would never see any reason to interact with this other person. Mm. You know, now that's a potential business partner, a potential, you know, person for your child to marry. But there just was not really any kind of lateral uh, connection. It just was all I go into my bubble, I do my thing. And then I with those people there. And then that's it. And and so that part of it was unfortunate. Um, 
but if there was ways where, you know, other aspects, there were intentional about, you know, people doing activities together or not always doing things in, you know, separate languages. But if they were in separate languages, then what I really came to think about later was there's, these are ways where that can actually be an effective setting. You take, for example, a traditional, uh, you know, Arabic lecture, you know, during the month of Muharram, which is very, very traditional, you know, instead of doing that and that only that exact content, why not talk about what's happening in the world in Arabic? Talk about racism in Arabic, speaking the language of the listener. You're, you're the, the uh, psychologist speaking the language of the listener basic concept, you know, something that they'll understand. Then we can, I think, really begin to bridge the gaps with, you know, the other way with the older generation that may be less inclined, hasn't really heard, or doesn't understand why certain things may be important. Speak it and say it in Urdu, say it in Farsi, say it in Arabic. I think there's a great responsibility for ulama who speak those languages or give traditionally give lectures in those languages that at Muharram time and Ramadan time where you have those peak crowds, especially Arabayin, you need to really make sure that your message isn't just something that is uh, traditional in the sense of just being relevant to you know some of the things that happen. Take that, but connect it to today. I mean, that's what the beauty of Islam is, period, is that it's relevant to every time, every era, every region. So make it relevant to these people, especially when they're living in, you know, uh, the Western world. I think that's a great, great approach that can really help. I agree 100%. And I think that's an issue that um, that exists. Like, I've seen that. I've, I've seen that. Um, give an example when I was in the UK as well, same same community. No, actually, sorry, this is a different community in the UK. This is this is also that, <laughs> they do have it rough, yeah. But this was a different one. This was actually the first time I went to give speeches. So this was in Scotland, actually, right? So way back when, like a long time ago, and Siri wanted to chime in there. I said Scotland, so Siri. Siri turned on. I didn't on. get that. Could oh. you try again? It's connected into my car and everything. Look at that. All right, anyways. So, I'm in Scotland, and the Sayyid there is giving Urdu speeches. I'm giving English speeches. He gave this one Urdu speech, and the crowd is fired up. I have I don't know what he's talking about. But I remember afterwards, one of the youth comes up, and we're having dinner afterwards in the center, and the youth's like, Sayyid, you know, it's a great speech you gave. Alhamdulillah, thank you. One suggestion, you know, people need to hear the what's going on in our contemporary lives, right? So you're giving the traditional speech about, you know, the Sunni Shia dilemma and I guess like a hadith related to that and the whole topic of what are the differences between Sunni and Shia Islam. And he's like, yeah. people here need more than that. Like, we need to know what's happening. How can we bring... Imam Hussein al-Islam till today, to today. What can we do to to understand how can we be Husseini in this period of time? And the Sayyid said, no, that's not what's needed. What is needed is what I'm talking about, right? It's like, he's not from that country, right? He's brought in from Pakistan to come and give a speech and go back to Pakistan. And 
the only people that he's in contact with are Urdu-speaking elders who invite him. Right? Mm-hmm. So he has no idea of what's, what's needed and what's necessary in this society. And he's just catering to that crowd. And interestingly enough, two days later, right, television, a television crew comes to record his speech and um, publish it live. And he gave the exact same speech word for word that he did before. So word for word. Like, I, didn't, I, I was gobsmacked. Like, how can you give the same speech twice in one Muharram? Exactly the same speech. And he did it because that was his best speech. So he did it for TV. And it was like, wow. Like, uh, there's, a, there's a huge difference in perspective here. But it definitely exists. Now, obviously, there are, you know, Urdu-speaking ulama and Farsi-speaking and Arabic-speaking ulama who are aware of the situation and who do try to, you know, bring the movement of Imam Hussein alayhi salam into the modern world and show its relevance in the modern time. Right. And, right. you know, obviously we support, you know, that that movement and yes. that, those Absolutely. type of speeches and they exist. And I'm sure there, you know, there's ulama who are much better than us at, at doing that as well, who who we learn from. And when we hear the the examples that we, that they give, we use that in our speeches. You know what I mean? So obviously they exist, but I feel that, that is a huge thing, and yeah, and I think, you know, I've, I've seen, I've heard a lot of talk, I haven't seen it actually actualized, but I remember, mm. I remember, you know what, actually in Qom, it did kind of start, so I remember when, when I, when I was in Qom, I don't remember if you were there at that time or not, I can't remember, but I remember for a couple years at least, some mm-hmm. of the Western students would get together mm-hmm. and they would share their experiences of doing tablik, of going to going to whatever Western country they went to and gave speeches in Muharram. And, mm-hmm. and we'd learn from each other's experiences. And then before mm-hmm. we'd go out, you know, we would brainstorm topics, or at least we would inform each other of what we're talking about. Well, I think how amazing would it be if there was a group of scholars who would get together before Muharram, for instance, before the month of Ramadan, before before the major speaking times, and say, hey guys, I think this topic is an important topic to address in our communities. Let's call, Let's figure out your own, you know way of intertwining this into your lecture series like we're not gonna mm-hmm. we're not gonna write the script for everyone but right. at least let's let's you know this is a topic do a little research on this topic let's say it's let's say right now you know the topic is racism because that's what's as mm-hmm. you said that's what's hot in america right now that's what everyone's talking about and you know there's a wave let's ride the wave let's imagine mm-hmm. Moharm was coming up next week Right? Yep. This would be the topic to talk about, right? Let's yeah. imagine that. So let's do mm-hmm. do your research. Here's some you know, here's some talking points, here's here's some statistics for you. And incorporate that into your lectures. How amazing would that be, right? And I think that would help kind of unify the message that that we have. Right? So absolutely. But, absolutely. It's but that point. point you mentioned about the Islamic Center of, of the UK. Right, it is interesting. Like, 
there's not many centers that have multi-language. There's a few. There's one mm-hmm. in uh, Northern California, the, the Seba Center. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I know there was... Uh, where was there was another one that I was aware of as well. I f- I'm forgetting Houston. where. Houston has one. All right. So like there are centers that do have multi-language, and I don't mean just the main language and English, right? So they'll yeah. have like a mixture of Arabic, Farsi, Urdu, and English, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on depending on the place. And mm-hmm. the good is that you will get people from different cultures coming to that center, but the neg mm-hmm. but they do have to think of ways of how to intermingle the the crowd. Like, yeah. if, if it's just like, I'm going to, yeah. you know, we're going to keep separate 100% and we're, ne- we're never going right. to, then, yeah, I, I see your point. There's that, that's not helping yeah. at all, right? But if, yeah. if it is, we're bringing the, these different people into this, into this center. Now let's right. do, let's have every now and then, let's have a program where the different ulama of the, that speak the different languages get together and hold a program, mm-hmm. maybe in English in a common language or whatever. Like this, we'll figure it mm-hmm. out. I'm I'm sure you know the different right. ways of doing that. We could figure out, but if that happens, then that's great. Absolutely, and I've uh, I mean I've heard there's some people respond uh, that you know well it, it's still very progressive because. Um, Again, for me, like if the content that's being said in those spaces is very relevant, if it's connected to, you know, what's going on, I think that's one of the most important things. But one of the feedback that I've heard is that uh, we we make a lot together and we eat together, Mm. you know, and I don't want to downplay those things as uh, praying in Salat. But if you're praying Salat properly, then you're probably focusing on your Salat, you know, (laughs) it's not really a so much of a social interaction time, even if it may be in congregation. You well, know, after, uh, after the prayer, you shake the, after, the two people's the hands. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, I think, yeah, there, need, there does need to be some energy and effort into, like, you know, maybe encouraging some kind of way or encouraging, like, certain things. Like, for example, like, we... Um, uh, sometimes, like, they have, like, these camps, youth camps, mm-hmm. and I remember a couple different ones where the ulama were saying, hey, let's try to be intentional and sit with different people during lunchtime, you know, like, even that practice, because there's, you know, there's always those people who are like, you know, uh, they're always going to hang out with the alim, they're always going to sit next to, they always have a question, so, but then there's the people who may not, like, maybe sit with those people, you know, catch up, things like that, like, maybe making policies or, or encouraging, not policy, but really, like, encouraging community, like, hey, when it's when it's time to eat, like, hey, let everybody maybe sit down with someone you haven't sat, sat before, you know, encourage people, you know, the prophet, when he met someone, he would ask them certain questions about who they were, where they came from, their lineage, or things like that, ask these questions, you know what I mean? There used to be a time when your phone could only hold, like, so many numbers. They'd be on the ad. It would advertise, like, this phone can hold 300 numbers. <laughs> now you have unlimited, you know? Take everyone's number that you meet. <laughs> There's no reason not to. You know, put a note. Oh, this is that brother. You know, you never know. This there may, That may be a point of connection. That person's a mechanic. They're a doctor or whatever. You, you grow and build, you know, those relationships. So I think about, you know, there's new little subtle ways where, we can find ways to incorporate that to build community, and and those are not and those are not small things. Mm. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. The camps are actually a, a good example, right? Because you yeah. could imagine uh, that there's a 
there's a community that caters to different languages, and when they're, they're not going to have four different camps, right? So right. they'll have mm -hmm. a camp, and then at least the children of those languages will get together. Yeah. You know, they're probably sure. all going to the English program anyways. But yes. even if they, you know, that means that that next generation is going to be intermingled, right? Inshallah. They're going to have relationships with each other. They're going to have brotherhoods and sisterhoods with each other that that yes. exist, that wouldn't have existed if they were in two different centers that had nothing to do with each other. So there are, that is a good point. And the camps are, are very, like, they're interesting. I wish there was more camps, right? Mm -hmm. Here in Australia, the different centers and youth groups have camps. But okay. there's not really a overarching camp that gets from different centers that come together. You know, okay. that would be awesome. That so many youth at every center, though? Is that a factor? Is uh, that reason why? Or, or mean, just maybe just disconnected from I think it's each a, other? They're disconnected. Like, I remember here, I gave um, lectures in Muharram uh, last year, but I'm going to speak about the year before. And mm -hmm. I was giving it at a, at a community called Irshad. And then... Mm -hmm. After that, I would leave that community and go to another community in, in an area called Rockdale. And mm -hmm. the area in Rockdale was a Lebanese community, right? There was a few people from other races, but predominantly Lebanese. And mm -hmm. it's, it was known as one, you know, it's in one of the Muslim areas as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was a popular, a popular one. And we got a, a decent crowd, a few hundred people would come and it was it was awesome right mm. but the the first one i was at was an afghan center and mm. they rented out, they had a a warehouse like a, a factory full mm -hmm. hundred percent mm. capacity full and that was only the men they had a factory next door for the women right? oh, wow. there were thousands of people at these wow. lectures, right? I think it was like on the major nights, it got up to 5,000 people, right? It was so many people. And I would go and I'd say, yeah, I'm speaking at Irshad. And the people in the in the community in Rockdale were like, what is Irshad? They didn't even know they existed. And they, wow. have, they have 5,000 people in their program. And they don't even know they exist. Right? Wow, and it's not only the the community in Rockdale that didn't know they existed. Many communities that I've spoken to didn't even know they existed, and that means that there's a huge disconnect between the Shia wow. communities here, right? So if Irshad did a camp, I don't think they'd even know that a camp happened, you know right? I mean? Let alone like did we attend it or not. Right. Wow. So, yeah, there's huge disconnects in the community. Um, many of the camps that happen are small because they're specific to that community. Right. So, like, mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty active in one of the centers called Nabi Akram, which is another Afghan community. And they usually mm -hmm. have yearly camps and their camp would have like 40, 50 people maximum. Mm -hmm. Right. And you'd get you'd get a mix of races because the English programs in that in this center attract people of other races as well so sometimes you'll get 
some people of different races coming to these camps, which is good. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, you know, I know uh, IHIC, which which is another center, they'll have a camp, and it'll be their mm-hmm. people. And then, you know, whatever group has a camp, and it's only their people that go. <laughs> you know it. what's funny, though? <laughs> what's really ironic for me is this. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've been, like, COVID and everything, a lot more online content these days, mm. right? Um, I find it very – it's just fascinating to watch how how people are so, like, just myopic, tunnel vision, focused on their culture or their place, you know what I mean, that attachment, so much so that even in a virtual space – like you'll find like people like oh, well I'm only logging in to listen to the lecture that you know my masjid is doing. <laughs> I'm oh, yeah. like there are thousands of lectures online right now. There's mm-hmm. so much good content. It's the internet. You don't need a membership <laughs> or something like that. You know, it's so interesting how mm-hmm. I mean like not people are doing that. Like now I'm seeing it like start to break away, but there's still a lot of people like that's not even a thought in their mind. And one of the telltale signs for me was things like, and I and I've and I've been mentioning this to in a lot of places. Like, listen, when you make a flyer, please put the time zone on it. Mm. Like it's not a thought in people's mind that someone else in another time zone may need to know that seven o'clock. You know, doesn't mean seven o'clock everywhere. You yeah. know, and where the world is shrinking and getting smaller, and this is a you know, this may be the perfect storm with all these things that are happening with the police brutality and this uprising in America with COVID. It may be the perfect storm to fuel that people forcing themselves to come and get connected, you know, even in virtual spaces. You know, I love the work that you do, you know, with with uh, with Grace. And those are the kind of things I think that are that can sort of bridge those gaps, you know, inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Um, well, 100 percent. I agree. It's so funny. Like I gave, I gave a lecture for a community in New Zealand, great community, but the only people that that came on were people from New Zealand. I think there was one person that came from from Sydney. And I'm like, come on, guys! Like, it's still me. <laughs> There's no difference. <laughs> it's the same time zone too. It's like, or I think it's like one hour difference. But it's like, like why would you not sign in for that? But you'd right. sign in for a different speech I do that's in your message. Right. Online. 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 Like it's the same I thing. Like it's thing. the same thing. It's just a different it's just a different page. Like that's it. It's it's weird. Like I get that. But I th- I think that that would change if uh if this prolonged. Right? So here in Australia the centers are opening up and there'll be live mm-hmm. programs and I think I don't think that they're going to record them and put them online live, which hopefully they would do. Like, hopefully this kind of creates that movement to do that. But um, but I think once once they start becoming live programs again, they're not going to be online anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if COVID, prolo- you know, the, the shutdown prolongs in different countries, or I don't know what's happening in America with it right now and when centers are going to reopen, but... If that does take a long time, I think people will start to gravitate in that direction of caring who the lecturer is. And when there's a speaker that you like, doesn't matter if they're speaking, you know, in Houston or Colorado or New York or California, it's still online and you can watch it. 
Right. Or even a, even somewhere else in, in a different part of the world. Although, exactly. the, you know, it won't be night for you. So that there is an issue there. But, right. you know, it is... Uh, I think that would change. Like, I, I, I think that... Like, imagine that this was the case for two years. I think mm-hmm. in two years' time, you know, people would be watching the program and not not necessarily the center. And then you'd probably have virtual groups starting up that would just do lectures and they're not affiliated with any center. Like, I know we do it at Grace on Wednesday nights. We have that. And it's not like there's a live version of this anywhere. It's just always Mm -hmm. on on Grace. But not many people come and watch it. But inshallah, see what happens in the future. Yeah, inshallah. But, like, it is... It is interesting, like that. That would be a interesting change that I feel would happen gradually and naturally. Like it's, it, it would have to. You know, I, I would. Hope so. It would be so weird if it didn't. You know, <laughs> like can you I imagine think we're in that direction? Yeah. I, I really. I really think we are, inshallah. You know, I want to be optimistic. Yeah, but but I don't see it on the ground. Like for instance, I'll give a lecture. There's two places in uh, that are close to each other that I give lectures at. Right, so Nabi Akram, I give lectures mostly every Friday. I'll go there and I'll give a lecture, and then there's another place called Auburn, and that's like literally. A 10-minute drive because I remember I was giving classes in Auburn and then Nabi Akram right after and I would get in the car and drive and it was 10 minutes in between the two, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a 10-minute drive. So they're literally right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I give a lecture in Auburn, it has its crowd. And when I give my <laughs> lecture in Nabi Akram, it has its crowd. And they don't mix. Oh, it's man. the same person speaking, right? Like... Like, I'm not understanding. Why are you guys not coming to to Nabi Akram? And why are you guys not coming to Auburn? I don't get it. Like, it's still me. You come to listen to me. But obviously, maybe they're not listening to me. They're coming to partake in the program that their center is having, no matter who's giving the speech. Right. 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 And that's exactly. The, that's the issue. Like, if that changes where you're like, all right, this scholar, like, not my soul, like, forget about me, but... Imagine Scholar X is an amazing scholar and I want to listen to him. I don't care what center he's going to be at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When he's giving the lecture, if it's somewhere in my vicinity where it's it's possible for me to go or it's easy for me to go, I'm going to go. And mm-hmm. I think if we could change that mentality for places that have multiple centers near each other, that would create a mixture of people. Right? But Definitely. But I don't see it. Like, I don't, like, presently, unless, bar the international speaker, when someone comes from overseas, then there's okay. that, that new wow factor and more people yeah. will come and see them. Yeah? But <laughs> if that same person stayed for, for three months, then no. Right. Those, those right. numbers would die down. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, there, there was a community, I mean, they're actually not just one. There's several communities that it's, it, right now, very active in terms of like, hey, let's have a social justice discussion group. Let's have a book group now. Let's have a book club or let's um, let's do an event. Let's do that event and, and, and things like that. And even in those spaces, I just find it so interesting that the reason for the one of the root causes of all of these problems is how we 
it's this self-imposed segregation, right? Mm -hmm. And we still do that, even in the programs that we're doing about that. It's so, <laughs> it's so fascinating to me that this is how the human mind works, really? <laughs> like, so, like, this group that you're doing a great work. I'm like, did you tell anybody else about it? We told no one except the handful of people in our community. We shared this with absolutely no other center. I'm, it's, I think that that could be one of the uh, great campaign campaigns where we just as Muslims focus on connecting and sharing information. Mm. You know what I mean? Hey, look, you're doing an event. Just let other people know. You know what yeah. I mean? Hey, be feel free to participate in events. These are for Muslims. These are open to the community. They're for anybody. You know what I mean? Like if we can get that done, like, wow, that would be a massive, you know, bridging, you know, that, that would have taken place. Yeah. I think getting not only that, but getting the different, groups and communities to create joint programming like i think that that's a big one right and there's actually there's a, there was some research that was done with uh in group out group mentality right so an in group is your group an out group or another group that's not you right and obviously when you recognize that there's another group our human mentality starts saying that we're better like we are good and there's an issue with them because we have to kind of identify with ourselves in, in some positive way, right? Now, there is research done by actually a Muslim psychologist from Canada by the name of Sharif. And I think this was in like the 60s or the 70s, a long time ago. And he brought people to a camp. And this was like, like if psychologists ever hold a camp, don't go. Like they're testing you for something. But he brought these people to a camp. And in this camp, what he did is, day one, he made random, randomly made two groups. And no one, no participant in the camp knew each other from outside the camp. So there were two random groups of people you don't know, and the other group, you don't know them at all. But now there's these two groups, and they had like little competitions, right? So like little scavenger hunts or whatever the competitions was. And... The group started competing against one another and started forming these in-group, out-group mentality that we're the best, you guys suck, and all that, right? And he was able to show that, you know, this is part of human nature. Then, the way that he wanted to get rid of it was to, he formed an activity that both groups wanted, but they had to work together to achieve. And I think it was like, setting up an outdoor cinema or something like that. And then they did an outdoor movie with marshmallows and, and all of that. And that activity brought them together. So these group activities is what, what we, sh we could be doing that will you know, force people to not only interact with one another, but to work with one another to achieve a goal. And I do see that these... these events are a little more common than they were before. So, like, I know in the month of Ramadan, for instance, online, there were these, like, I had Grace was part of one group that um, Sayyid Ali Zaidi was doing from Qom. And I saw on the flyer, there's like 20 different groups that he was able to bring together. Now, obviously, it's online, so it's, it's a different experience. But on the ground, mm -hmm. if you get, you know, three, four different centers to create a program, 
and bring their people from their center into this program wherever it's held, right? It would be, you know, amazing. And you would have people interact with one another and create those relationships and those friendships with one another <laughs> that might not ever see each other if, if right. we didn't have right. this. Right? So I think these group group programs are something that we could utilize for sure. Right, okay. I agree with you. Um, the uh, I really think that this may be a responsibility of leadership of these of organizations um, for these board members, leaders, whoever are you know the active, the super volunteers of every center, as I call them. <laughs> every center has, seems to have one or two super volunteers that do everything. But uh, these folks who are kind of leading or doing a lot of the work, I think they're going to have to be the ones to share that information with other centers, reach out. Um, and I would say that, you know, if places just started with doing that locally in their own cities, you know, like that would be a huge progress. That would be a huge progress where, you know, there's a connection between places. But I don't know if this, if you've had this experience, you know, and seen in the UK and uh, um, or in Australia, but I'd be curious to know my, my, what I'm, the sense that I get and what my understanding is from every place that I've traveled to in, in the States and talked to, uh, probably 30 years ago, they were all one center. And then there was like some kind of, they split like, I told somebody that they split like cells. They said it's more like fungus <laughs> or something. And they were saying, like, usually because their splits are based off of, you know, something negative happened. Mm -hmm. They didn't get along. They became two. They didn't get along. They broke up. They didn't get along. They broke up. And so, like, whenever I travel somewhere and they ask me, you know, how, how many, you know, messages do they have in Denver? How many Shia messages do they have in Denver? I'm like, you know, four or five. Wow, I had no idea. Man, that's mashallah. That's so, so good. I'm like, you know, let's not uh, get ahead of ourselves too much, you know, yeah. because however many there are, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's that many and they're connected to each other. It could mean that there are that many that are not connected, which actually is, you know, counterproductive in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I so think that leader. Same thing here in Sydney. Yeah. So we okay. had, there was one center and another center kind of splintered off because of political ideology and another one split off because... They weren't holding the programs that they wanted, and they're all in the same area, you know what I mean? So, like, they're all very close to one another, and now there's multiple. So, obviously, that's, you know, there's issues there. Um, but there are centers that are in other areas of the city that just cater for the group that lives over on that side of the town. But same thing, they're, they're also split, and new centers were created, and... This still happens. So, like, another, I, I, you know, I'm aware of another center that recently opened because of a split. And this is just something that continually happens. And you're right, that's not a good thing. Like, just the, the more numbers of centers does not necessarily reflect, you know, positivity there, 100%. Exactly. Yeah, it could be negativity in Los Angeles as well. Los Angeles had one like Jeffrey, they had one big center and it split up into plenty many different centers because of these issues. So, yeah. What can you do? But Sheikhna, thank you so much for for oh, accepting this invitation. I know it's, thank you. We've, we've been speaking for a while, so I, I feel like I could speak forever with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gotta gotta stop it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
Inshallah. We'll do it again another time. Definitely, inshallah. definitely, inshallah. Thank you so much for that. Alhamdulillah, take care now. What? You haven't subscribed yet? Mate, get on the ball. Subscribe to the channel.